Yeah, I'd love Thanks. to. Um, so, yeah, Bible reading this morning, as Steve said, James chapter 2, 14 to 26. I might give you a couple of moments if you want to open it up in your Bible or find it on your app. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And... Um, I take it at the moment you can just see me and not everybody. Hopefully everything's set up right. I see a thumbs up from Rodney. That means all's good. Um, as Ashley was reading the passage, I'm sure it's one of those passages that makes you think because we've hung around churches for a while. Um, we know that salvation is by grace alone. We know that we're not forgiven and given new life by being good people. Um, but because uh, of Jesus' death in our place. Um, we understand that when God judges the world, in fact, when he judges each one of us, we can only be declared righteous in God's eyes because of what Jesus has done for us. And we've also got a lot of tradition behind us. So during the, the Reformation hundreds of years ago, Protestant churches, they split from the Roman church over the, over the various issues, but this was one of them, over salvation by grace alone. People were prepared to die for that truth. And then the Presbyterian um, tradition grew out of that reformed background. Salvation by faith, it's just central to everything we do. So it's interesting when you come to James chapter 2 because what James claims here is that there is a faith that cannot save. So you see it in verse 14. Verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters? If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Can such faith save them? It's rhetorical. James is saying that kind of faith, faith without action, well, it can't save. If you're not convinced, have a look down at verse 17. Verse 17 says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Or if you look at verse 20, you foolish person, 
do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? There's another one in verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And if you're still thinking, is James really saying that? Well, have a look at verse 24 because it puts his position fairly plainly. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And you look at that and you think, wow, that just sounds exactly the opposite of what we would expect in a Reformed tradition. So what's going on here? What's James saying? It sounds like he's contradicting the rest of the New Testament. So can we just sort of ignore this part of the Bible, snip it out and put it aside? Some have. I reckon let's just go slowly. Let's work out exactly what James is saying because he does explain it to us and it's not overly complicated. He starts with a simple illustration. It's a useless illustration. So in James chapter 2, verses 15 to 16, you have the example of someone whose actions don't fit with his or her words. They claim to be concerned about their brother or their sister. From what they say, it sounds like they care. It sounds like they want to help, but then their actions deny it. They do nothing. Um, what they say and what they do are two very different things. And so yeah, James's point is, what good is it to say all the right things and do nothing? So verse 15, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So in the same way that that person's words and actions, they just don't match up, in that same way, um, words are useless and meaningless on their own. Um, in that way, faith without action is dead, is what James is saying. So point one in the sermon outline, yes, there's a, there's a faith that cannot save, a faith that doesn't result in action. That is the kind of faith. Um, it's a faith that actually means nothing. If you have faith without actions, well, what are you left with? You're left with nothing but head knowledge, left with nothing but an intellectual acknowledgement of the truth, if you've got faith without actions, well, it's kind of like you're just playing mind games. So at church, we're told that we are saved by grace alone through faith. James says, well, there is a faith that cannot save. There is a dead and useless faith. And that faith, it's nothing more than head knowledge. And then I reckon he gives the ultimate example of faith that cannot save in verse 19. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Demons know God exists. They believe God exists. They, I suppose, have faith that God exists. They shudder at the thought of God, but that's all they do. Their belief, their faith, it doesn't result in, in changed behavior. It doesn't result in repentance. Everything they do denies that God is Lord of all. The demons know there's one God. Do they submit to God as God? Well, no, of course they don't. Faith that doesn't save. And as you kind of think about this, I mean, how often do we live with that kind of faith, faith that cannot save? How often do we claim that we know God and yet live a life that denies God's sovereignty? How often do you claim to serve God and yet do nothing other than serve yourself? I mean, our whole life can be lived that way. 
So James is saying, first point, there is a faith that cannot save, but that's only half the stories. Sermon outline point two, um, there is a faith that does save. And in verse 18, we meet someone who disagrees with James. This person wants to separate faith from action. So how does James respond? Verse 18, um, some of you will say, you have faith, I have deeds. I want to separate the two. James's response, show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by what I do. He's saying faith without deeds, deeds without faith. No, you, you can't separate them. You can't separate faith and actions because you can tell what someone believes by what they do. So James is saying, if you believe it, do it. Um, the simple example of this work would work if we were all in the same room and weren't in lockdown. So quick adjustment on the fly here. If I told you there was a bomb in your house, rather than in the room we're in together, if I told you there was a bomb in your house, if you believe me, well, you will quietly leave and take your valuable possessions with you. Even if you thought I might be telling the truth, you would act. You wouldn't sit there doing, not, doing nothing. But if you didn't believe me, then you may stay sitting there waiting to see what will happen next or what I might say next. But if you said you believe me and didn't leave, then your actions are inconsistent. If you really believe, you will walk out. If you're not prepared to act, then do you really trust? Do you really believe? Do you really have faith? James is saying, if you believe it, do it. It's all about faith and actions. Don't just say it, do it. Um, pause for a minute, though. These days, there's a lot of misunderstanding over what faith actually is. Here's James talking about faith. But a lot of people, I think, when you say the word faith, they think of a religious thing. But faith is, it's an everyday experience. It's, it's a trust. It's a reliance thing. Um, when you sit in a chair, maybe the chair you're sitting in at the moment, you, you sit in that chair, you put your faith in that chair. You're trusting that chair. You believe that chair will hold you up. You trust that the chair is going to hold your weight, even though you put on a few kilo over Christmas. You rely on the chair to hold you up. So faith, belief, reliance, they're all pretty much the same thing. And they're all part of everyday life. We all have faith. Um, we have a faith that can be impersonal and we can have a personal faith. In other words, you can trust a person or you can trust a thing. Um, you can trust a thing like a chair. You can trust a person like your parents or your spouse. Um, you can have an informed trust. You can have an informed faith or you can have an uninformed faith. Um, you can check out the chair before you sit on it. Look at all the joints, see how it's made. So you have an informed trust or you can look at who sat in the chair before you and think, well, if they could, then I can. Um, but then in the end, it's the chair that holds you up. It's the object of your faith that makes your faith worth having. It's the person you trust and their behaviour that makes them worth trusting or not. All these things, it's faith. Is, what I'm saying is faith is just part of life. We have faith all the time. We trust, informed, personal, uninformed, impersonal. Faith is part of life. And what James is saying is you've got to combine your faith with action for it to be real. So just let's see if I can... I had to change this as well. Here's an Ikea chair. See that? It's nearly 20 years old. It's one of the kids' chairs that they used to use for craft and stuff. There's, you know, it's not the strongest thing. You've got a screw coming out there. But 
I know that that'll hold me up. I, I can guarantee that'll hold me up. I know because I've stood on it before. It's been used for painting even this weekend. But if you say, yeah, I believe that'll hold me up too because it holds you up. Well, unless you're going to come and sit in it, what's the point? Your faith without action, it's, it's not worth having. There's faith that is really no faith at all, James says. And then there's faith that saves, real faith that results in acting an action. Um, real faith, you can't separate it from action. You believe it, you will do it. You put your trust in the person or the thing. Um, James gives two examples of faith that does save. So you've got Abraham in verses 20 to 24, and then you've got Rahab in verses 25 to 26. So we're back in the passage again. Look at Abraham. A bit of background with Abraham. We all know that in, in Genesis chapter 12, God made those amazing promises to Abraham that he would become a great nation of people, that um, this nation of people would have a land for themselves and that all the nations around will be blessed through Abraham. God made those promises to Abraham when he didn't have a child. Abraham had no kids because his wife uh, was barren. Finally, when he was 100 years old, Sarah had a son. And then you come to Genesis chapter 22. So here's the the child of the promise, the promised child, the beginning of this great nation of people. And in Genesis chapter 22, we read that God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And what would you do? God, the God of everything, the God who promised you this very child, promised you become a great nation through this child, says, offer your child as a sacrifice. Um. Do you listen to God? Do you put your faith in God? Would you trust that God somehow will work this dilemma out? It looks like God's not going to be able to keep his promises. If you do what he's telling you to do, you've just bro- broken all possibility of God keeping his promises. Have a look at what um, Hebrews 11 says. Hebrews 11 verse 17 talks about this incident. Hebrews 11 verse 17 says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Well, he was prepared to, very nearly did. It goes on, he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, He did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham, he trusted God. He believed God. And he put that trust into action, even when he couldn't see how things would work out. He trusted that God has all this in hand. And sure enough, God says, well, well, stop there. Here's a lamb. Sacrifice that instead. But the writer of the Hebrews says, Abraham, basically, he did offer his son and reasoned that God could even bring him back from the dead. What does James say about this? Well, in verse 20, 2 verse 20, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. There's an example of faith that saves, the kind of faith that leads to action. Abraham showed that he believed by what he did. He showed that he trusted God by putting his faith into action. His faith was real. His faith saves. It's not meaningless. and It's not dead. 
And then you think about us and our situation as people who profess to follow Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, what are we asked to give up? I mean, when we become a Christian, we hand over everything, don't we? We hand over everything to God. We say, God, you're God. I'll live your way, not my way. Hand over everything to God. So, yeah, we can learn from Abraham when we can't see or understand how God might keep his promises, when we can't see or understand how God is working everything out, we still obey. We keep trusting. We keep obeying. Um, when everything seems to point to the fact that God's not in control, well, we keep trusting God, that he is in control. We remember um, God's word. We have God's word, just like Abraham had God's word. And so we remember, we know that God, that Jesus is returning and may not look like it, but we trust that he is. And so we build our lives around the expectation that Jesus will return. We trust and we put that trust into action. Um, you might profess to being a Christian. You might have grown up with Christian parents, always calling yourself a Christian, or you might have decided later in life that you should become a Christian. But sometimes you will find that it is hard living as a Christian and it would be easier to go with the flow. Why cause a scene? I mean, it's just easy to do what everyone else is doing, even if it's wrong. Well, if that's you, then James has something to say. He says, well, if, you're, if you're, your faith is not consistent with your action, if your faith doesn't result in action, then what good is it? Keep doing, keep following through on what you believe. Um, James gives a second example of faith, and that's Rahab. Let's see what happened to Rahab. So the background to Rahab, you'll find it in um, Joshua chapter 2. So the Israelites, they're about to cross into the promised land of Canaan, and they send some spies ahead into Jericho to check it out um, before they they destroy the city. Um, The spies stayed at Rahab's house, Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the non-Israelite, the Gentile. So in Joshua 2, verse 8, we read, Before the spies lay down for the night, Rahab went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord, Yahweh, has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Verse 10, We have heard how the Lord, Yahweh, dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did in Sihon and Og the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear. Everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. If you look at um, Joshua 2 verse 11, what happens is Rahab hears what God's doing. She hears about his nation. She hears about their victories in battle. She hears about the way God led his people across the sea on dry land. And she believes, verse 11, that the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. Rahab believes and then she puts her belief, her faith into action. She aligns herself with God's people. She counted the cost She changed allegiance. And so look at what James says about Rahab. So James 2 verse 25, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous 
for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction as the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without deeds is dead. So James, he uses Rahab as an example of someone who had faith that saves, someone who put that faith into action. Um, I think you and I have more in common with Rahab than you might first think. So firstly, she wasn't one of God's chosen people, Israel. We're not Jews. Um, Secondly, she heard what God had done. Well, we've heard what God's done. Every time you read the Bible, you hear what God's done. Um, Every time you have it explained, you hear what God's done. Even today, you're hearing it. Um, Thirdly, Rahab responded to God by wanting to serve him with everything that she had. She changed allegiances. She believed God was God. She put her faith into action at personal cost. And so the question is, what about us? I mean, have you responded to what you know about God? Have you put that belief in God into action at personal cost? If you've heard a bit about God and you think, well, yeah, this could be true, well, act on that. Don't ignore it. I mean, what is what good is there to agreeing that something's true and yet not acting on it? So as we've looked through James chapter 2, we've seen James, he's concerned that we show our faith by what we do. He says there is a faith that can't save. It's a faith that's meaningless and lifeless, just like the demons. He says real faith shows itself by what we do. And then he gives the examples of Abraham and Rahab. So I think what we need, the third thing we need to do is just for a little bit, think about what James is not saying. So we're at point three on the sermon outline. Um, earlier, I pointed out that it's verse 24 that's the one that really shocks. As Christians, we believe we're saved by grace, not by works. Well, I mean, we've seen that in Galatians recently in Bible studies. And yet you've got 2 verse 24 that says, you see that a person is justified or made righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. When you read that verse on its own, yeah, it sounds like James is preaching a faith by works, a faith by performance. It sounds like James is contradicting the rest of the New Testament. And in particular, for example, passages like Romans 3 verse 28, where the apostle Paul goes, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So as you think about what James is not saying, I think there's three things. Firstly, context, then then the use of words, and then the way this fits with the rest of the Bible. So firstly, the context. Think about the context that James is writing into. Um, James 2 verse 24, you'd look at that in the context of the whole letter. James is writing to people who need to be encouraged to act. They need to be encouraged to do. So for example, back in 1 verse 21, therefore get rid of all moral filth, And all the evil that is so prevalent, humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Verse 22 of chapter 1, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. James is writing to people who need to be kicked along to actually put what they believe into action. Um, Again, you see it in 3 verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. If you claim to be wise, show it. So James, the context of James 2 verse 24 is James writing to people who need to be told to humbly accept God's word and do it. He's the do it man, the Nike man. James's situation, I think, is different to what you see Paul often writing into. Um, The Apostle Paul's context, more often than not, you see him writing to people um, who don't need to be told to act. Writing to people who, well, they are acting, they are doing. They're putting their confidence in what they do. 
Um, they're trying to be good enough for God. And Paul needs to show them, no, 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 you can't do that. So Paul and James, they're writing into different contexts. Second thing, um, when you think about what James is not saying, his use of words. So verse 24, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Um, James is calling faith an intellectual agreement and works are the actions that show or display that faith. Paul, on the other hand, when he's talking about works, he's talking about keeping the law, um, seeking to please God by keeping the law. And when he talks about faith, he's talking about trusting in Jesus rather than trusting in those that law keeping. So that the context is different is what I'm saying. The use of words is also different. And so the third thing is you think about what James is not saying is, do you find James's message elsewhere in the Bible? And I would say, yeah, you do. So um, in Romans 1, for example, Paul talks about the gospel in this way. Romans 1 verse 5, through him or through Jesus, we receive faith, uh, grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. So to Paul, he's preaching the gospel, expecting the gospel to bring about a change in behaviour, expecting the gospel to bring about obedience. And that starts to sound a lot like James, doesn't it? Um, Jesus in uh, Matthew 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And there you have Jesus sounding a lot like James as well. I suppose what I'm saying is you can find it elsewhere in the Bible. James is not out there on his own. Um, he doesn't contradict the rest of the New Testament. He's not saying that we can be saved by works. Quite the opposite. James is saying, put your faith into action. Um, if you put your faith into action, we're well, not going to be relying on your works, are you? If you believe that Jesus died for you, put your faith into action. Put your trust in Jesus. Live like you trust Jesus as king. Don't trust in what you do. The trick with James, though, is he, it is a very challenging letter to read because he is the do-it man. Um, he's not a procrastinator. He doesn't beat around the bush. He wants us to put our faith into action, not to just say things, but to do it as well. And so after reading James, yeah, we do need to ask a few hard questions, I think. Uh, the most obvious one is, well, are we trusting in Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus? Are you a Christian? If you're not, well, why not? And why not act on that today? I mean, if you're not a Christian yet, but you think that what you're hearing in God's word might be true, well, why not act on that? Show that what you believe is true means something. Show that you believe it is true by becoming a Christian. Talk to some Christian friends. Talk to me afterwards. Um, most importantly, pray to God. And if you say you are a Christian, well, are you living like it? Can people see in you the signs of genuine faith in God. You say you're trusting in God's word that Jesus will return, for example. Well, are you living like that? Or are you invested in this life, not the next? Are you telling your friends about God? Or are you thinking there's no rush, there's no hurry? It is easy to lose sight of the big picture. I mean, how else do we see our faith in action? We'll keep reading through the rest of James' letter. And if you listen to Andrew when he was praying, you would hear some of James's letter. He is the do-it man. So back in 1 verse 2, if we genuinely believe in Jesus, well, we, we will stand up in trials. They prove, they test our faith in Jesus. 1 verse 21, 
Um, if we believe in Jesus, if we believe in God's word, well, we will humbly accept that word and put it into practice. Um, ahead in chapter 3, it talks about how you use your tongue. The way you use your tongue will show that you have trust in Jesus. Um, it's still in chapter 3, will show that we have wisdom by the way that we live. Um, in chapter 4, we don't want to be friends with the, wor- pardon me, with the world. Um, acknowledging God's sovereignty in everything, that's what we'll do in chapter 4. And there's heaps more as you go through James. It's very practical. Put your faith into action. If you claim that you believe in God, then let's encourage each other to show it in our actions. And as we close, I'll pray for us, but as we um, stop looking at James chapter 2, keep Abraham in mind. Keep Rahab in mind. Remember the personal cost of genuine faith. How about I pray for us? Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would forgive us for when we are inconsistent. Lord, please forgive us when we don't put our faith into action. Please forgive us for when we claim to acknowledge you but don't live for you. We admit that we continue as sinful human beings, we continue to rebel against you, and so we ask that you would forgive us. Please continue to change us. Please help us to live with Jesus as our ruler. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. Thank you that we have the promise of of his return. We ask that we would be ready when he does return. Lord, please help us to keep living in such a way that we show that this is what we believe. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.